BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 10th, 2023, of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me at my newsletter, substack.com slash at talkingmetsnog. And I want to welcome the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. It's only been a couple of days since we got together. Hope you enjoyed my little winter meetings, State of the Union, post-Juan Soto trade. Maybe part of it was a pep talk for the Mets fan. And uh, we're back on regular schedule here. If you haven't had a chance and you haven't signed up for the newsletter, strongly recommend it. Substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. I get into some of the under the radar signings. I break them all down, including the latest one, Jorge Lopez. And you get a chance to see my thoughts on the Mets, what I call trash or treasure. What do they have in these little under the radar uh, signings? And uh, earlier in the week, I broke down an interview that David Stearns did with Steve Gelbs and Andy Martino and Jim Duquette, really outlining what the vision is. The Mets' vision is very clear now. Stearns' vision is clear. And you'll hear a little bit about that throughout the show. Joining me in just a little bit, uh, he's back. He was here with us about a month ago when the hot stove was just kicking off after the World Series. Michael Marino at Marino MLB. If you're not following him on X, you should. Great information. Responsible rumor mill. Uh, has a little, has a lot of context and a, little, a good feel of the markets that are out there and what the players and the teams and the agents are all looking for. So 
in the second half of the program, Michael will be joining us. But the big news is not Jorge Lopez signing with the Mets for one year, $2 million. Big news in Mets land, exciting news, especially because Edwin Diaz is out there speaking glowingly about Lopez, a guy that was a closer in Baltimore and could be a great value signing to set up Diaz in 2024. But Shohei Otani, the winter of Otani, is coming to an end. We think it hasn't been officially announced, but Otani signed a 10-year, $700 million deal. Sounds like there's a ton of deferrals. I think that's going to take a little bit for the league to approve. The Dodgers and the Yankees are working on a deal that potentially could swap some minor leaguers and filler to open up roster space for the Dodgers to bring Joe Kelly and Otani on and make their contracts official. And look, we were looking forward to the winter of Otani for a couple of years here at the Talking Mets podcast, thinking that, hey, this is the guy, he's a hitter, he's a pitcher, he's the best player in the league, MVP, could be a lead on both sides. This is a perfect opportunity to come to New York to show his skill set. Uh, Steve Cohen, you know, the story goes, you guys have heard it a little bit. So Steve Cohen, when he wanted to buy his Greenwich mansion that his wife Alex really had her eye on back in the, I guess it was the early 90s or mid-90s, and he was competing with another very wealthy uh, buyer on the mansion, they were just going back and forth, back and forth. And both of them were like calling each other saying, hey, you know, Cohen calls this guy says, my wife wants this and I'm going to beat you no matter what you spend at market value. I'm going to go a dollar more. And he joked, you know, maybe we'll flip a coin for it. But in the end, Cohen went out, blew away the offer, got the mansion and, you know, built it into this palace that he wanted. So uh, if he wants somebody, you know, Cohen's going to be in on it. But and you heard Martino in the open. And I think he's missing the mark a little bit. I don't think it's just because of the fact that he, and you'll this has been a theme, that Otani didn't really play along what the media wanted, which was a LeBron James-type tour post-meeting interview, a lot of content, a lot of speculation, parsing through his words, all the things that made up the LeBron James tour, and even to a certain degree, some of these lesser players that like to go around and be wined and dined, so to speak. Uh, that didn't happen, making it very hard, ruining this winter meetings, basically. I mean, we didn't, the worst winter meetings we've ever seen. And the Mets, I think, bounced out because, number one, $700 million for a guy that, as of today, is, a, is an elite hitter, but he's a DH, is very rich. We don't know what kind of pitcher he's going to be. It's the second Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, maybe he could be an elite closer. Maybe he could be uh, a number two or number three. You know, is he going to be even as good as Kodai Senga? We don't know. You know, he's had, I believe, some mixed results as a pitcher. How long can he pitch? It's a lot of cheddar. I don't blame the Dodgers. If you have the opportunity to do it, do it. They blew away the competition. And quite simply, Otani, since seven years ago when he came into the league, when Billy Epler signed him when he was with the Angels, has never showed any desire to be in New York. He hasn't. He didn't want the Yankees back then. He didn't want the Yankees now. And he doesn't want the Mets. So it is what it is. I find it really interesting, and Buster only brought it up in a column about how this was a missed opportunity for Otani uh, to market himself and, and put the sport on the board. And I understand that to a certain degree. Look at the NBA. During the 4th of July, during the, the, the heart of the baseball season, when everybody's enjoying their 4th of July barbecue, people are tracking free agency. That's exactly what happened when LeBron James was a free agent. And every offseason when there's, you know especially if there's a star player available, whether it be a free agent, sign and trade, whatever, those first couple of weeks of the summer uh, when the NBA Finals is over, it's all about 
the NBA uh, musical chairs. And that's what baseball wants, especially in the middle of the winter, the heart of the NFL season. The basketball season has started, the, the midst of the uh, hockey season. And Otani wasn't into it. I'm not going to criticize him for that. And I think you saw with the, the John Morosi inaccurate rumor, we saw it a couple of years before with Trevor Bauer when Bob Nightingale, who's been very critical of his colleagues, talked about how, you know, we got to be better. The rumor mill and the cottage industry of what the rumor mill has become. And I know I say this where I have Michael Marino coming on who's trying to build into that himself. But I think at some point, you have to just put out information, caveat it, and stop trying to like do the Santa tracker on these players. Because sometimes that's what it gets to. Everybody wants, there's so much information. Everybody has basically the same information. 90% of this stuff comes from the agents. They're feeding everybody something. A lot of it they're feeding for an agenda to get some information out there because teams don't know, you know, what's posturing, what's real, what's fake. So, you know, they got to, and, and you saw there was reports that the Dodgers really freaked out when they heard about the whole flight to Toronto thing. You know, did they overpay by $100 million or whatever? I don't know. I mean, to me, about $100 million overpay, but if it's deferred money, whatever. Um, I think the root cottage industry of the rumor mill is going to go the way of the RSN and blow up because I think fans are tired of it. Fans don't know what to believe. Uh, they, and fans don't take rumors well either because when somebody says something, it's like the telephone game. I could talk to somebody at 3 o'clock, finally get on the air at 6.30, report something that I heard which also could be second or third hand. I understand in, in the rules of journalism is you get a couple of sources. In a digital age, especially in a situation where, you know, this kind of stuff, it's very hard to accomplish that. You have to caveat everything that you say. You have to wonder, putting this information out there, is it doing anything for anybody other than getting attention for myself? And sometimes bad attention in this kind of situation is not good, even for those looking to get clicks for ad dollars or whatever. But I think the fans who never really handle any of this stuff well um, are getting tired of it. And I don't know if John Morosi is going to have any ability to uh, be trusted anymore. Bob Nightingale, ever since the Trevor Bauer thing, Mets fans don't trust him on anything. Uh, you know, Heyman and Rosenthal seem to be a little bit more measured. You know, Jeff Pass and things like that. But, you know, everybody seemed to jump on this Toronto bandwagon when there might have been, you know, some misinformation put out there. So... You know, I think a lot of the things and the impact of Otani, though, I think Otani has an impact on the whole, you know, how shall I say it, the way that the uh, the sport is consumed. I think there's definitely a, a situation where it's possible that this whole thing and how it went down destroys the rumor mill for good. So maybe Otani has that impact. Uh, going to L.A., you know, does it have an impact with the Dodgers now? Are this perpetual like the Yankees? Every year in contention. I think they are for the foreseeable future. Uh, I think that you're going to see in another 20 years the Dodgers just like the Yankees where they don't have a bad year. Because when they are having a down slope, they'll just spend money to have a decent enough team to even, especially with three wild cards, make the postseason. I think ultimately where this Otani thing goes, though, what you're starting to see is that MLB players are about to start to get paid like other sports. Look, you got Kyler Murray. We talked about this, I think, at one point making $46 million a year. Damian Lillard, making $60 million a year. Antikonopo, Milwaukee, making $59 million a year. Uh, before Otani, $70 million a year AAV, 
Scherzer just a couple of years ago hit 43 million. Most players like Bryce Harper were getting the mid-20s. Even Correa, with the way they were spreading out that contract that before the Mets got involved with the Giants, I think it was only $28 million or so AAV. Uh, I know the years are longer than an NBA contract, or and obviously they're guaranteed unlike an NFL contract. But, you know, you are starting to see players get paid. And how is this going to impact the Mets? Well, you want to have a contending team and not pay a 95% tax and have any ability to stay in contention and, and stay beneath that $300 million luxury tax threshold, you are going to have to develop a farm system. We've talked about this because every single player that's anywhere near good, I think is going to start to hug $30 million a year. And I believe Pete Alonzo, Boris is his agent with the fact that he's, you know, he stays healthy and he has a typical Pete Alonzo year, that whole top five hitters that have had the most home runs their first five years in the league. And then their first six years in the league, he's going to be right there at the top you know, with Hall of Fame names, and even if he's not any different in terms of the things that we criticize him for, being a complete hitter or, you know, proving on his defense, if there are things that you want to knock about Pete, the few things that you can knock, I think that's going to be overshadowed by the fact that somebody's going to say this guy in the middle of the order is an elite power hitter, maybe the best there is in the league, and he could be a difference maker for me, and I'm going to give him $30 million a year, and if the Mets don't want him, I'll take him. And you can make arguments about that, whatever. And I remember saying this last year, and people laughed at me, but that's where this is headed, a $30 million AAV. And as you see Otani get his money, and you know any good player getting 20 to $25 million a year, you know that's just the way it goes. And the players think the owners have the money. And as long as you have a Dodgers or a Steve Cohen, you know that's going to just elevate uh, the, the, the salaries out there. I mean, you know, they... That's why everybody wants the Mets in on it, so to speak. Now, what I find interesting, and I think the league is going to have a problem on their hand, when this deferred money, if it gets approved, if the contract gets approved by Major League Baseball, this deferred money is a clear circumvention of the luxury tax. The same luxury tax that Cohen right now is going to be paying because he's got $50 million of dead money from Verlander and Scherzer that he's got to pay, and he's going to go over it, especially if he signs Yamamoto. Uh, And if he wants to have any kind of competitive team, he has to go over it. Um, so it'll be very interesting how the league addresses this because this could become a thing. Look, I understand everybody wants to be paid the most they can be paid and they want it now because you don't know what the value of the future money is. But if you put a percentage, let's say $200 million of that contract into some kind of deferral where the guy's going to be getting almost a retirement payment for the rest of his life after he stops playing, not that, you know, I think he could spend all of this. But it's nice money to have in your retirement. It's almost like your own pension plan, so to speak. There's a value to that. And as you, you know, you don't have to make $700 million to have that. There's a value in that for other players who want to have this generational money to hand down to their families and so on and so forth. So a lot of things have changed, I think, since 24 hours earlier before the Otani $700 million contract was announced. I think from a media perspective, things are going to change. I think the rumor mills on, on life support, never to be the same again. But I say that now, and everybody starting tomorrow when Yamamoto meets with the the Yankees out in L.A., they'll be back right at it and forgetting about it. But I do think that people are going to be a little bit more cautious with information, especially uh, those who are at the top of the heap in the mainstream media. And then I think baseball players are starting to say, hey, the elite players in this sport need to be paid like quarterbacks, need to be paid like NBA superstars. And I think for the Mets, that's going to make it harder and harder without a farm system to build your team and not pay the tax. And I think it's going to have a 
crazy impact on Pete Alonso. Now, does that mean that they should go and jump and give Francisco Alvarez, who's interested, of course he is, in a long-term deal? No. I would wait a little bit, maybe another year before they do that, uh, at the very least, but you get the point. Now, the real story going into the next couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, as this winter of Otani has completely bottled up the free agent market, it is now the winter of Yamamoto, who is now bottling up the starting pitching market. No Montgomery, no Snell, no Giolito, no nothing, unless they want to take whatever's on the table on an opportunistic contract from somebody until Yamamoto figures out what he's doing. Now, he's going to meet with the Yankees out in L.A., which is a little bit of a different scenario than just a day and a half ago. After the Soto trade on Thursday, everybody's like, well, he's coming to New York, he's meeting at Yankee Stadium, and uh, Hideki Matsui's going to be there, and uh, Tanaka's going to be there, and, and the Yankees are going to throw the championship rings and the kitchen sink, and they're not going to let him out of the, the suites, uh, Steinbrenner's old suite. He's, they're not going to let him out until he signs a contract. And everybody says it's a fait accompli that... The, the, you know, the Yankees are going to get him. There was even some talk about the Mets looking desperate going to Japan. Look, I think it was smart. Cohen takes a private jet with Stearns to go to Japan to meet with this guy, almost like a high school coach or a college coach recruiting, going into their home, meeting their family. They brought the translator with them, pitching what the Mets have to offer from an infrastructure and, 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 and how they could, you know, put a plan in place, I'm sure, that, the same plan that made Senga successful, who didn't come with nearly the same fanfare, and um, and away you go. Now, I talked about it just before, the whole Cohen Greenwich Mansion story. You guys have heard the story. He went all out, basically got in a room and told the, 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 the seller, I want this house, let's make it happen. And that's the way I like negotiations. If you want someone to sit down, like, I want you, how can we make this happen? Now, to me... And this is where this is going. I used to say, you know what? The seven-year, $210 million, that's a reasonable contract. It's not going to happen for that kind of money. You are looking at maybe 30 to $35 million, maybe seven, eight years plus. Uh, Jarrett Cole, AAV. And the Mets, if tradition and history is a big deal to this guy, and we really don't know because you hear the media wants him at the— I like how the media says, well, he's always dreamed about being a Yankee. I heard Jim Bowden say that on the MLB Network radio this, uh, this morning when I was— going around around town. I'm like saying, well, I've never heard him say that. The media is saying that. The media clearly wants that. But I've never heard Yamamoto say that. So it's not about what the media wants and, and what's good for their news cycle. It's what this guy wants. You know, then you hear, oh, well, he, he's always been a Dodgers fan. So, of course, Yankees and Dodgers, it's the old adage there, the two you know teams with the richest history and, and the most recent string of successful seasons. What do the Mets have to offer? Look, the Mets want him bad, which means they probably want to blow the competition away money-wise. There is a threshold. Will they go to $40 million AAV? I think they might have to chop some years off, but I could see them. They believe that this is a generational talent, that they're getting the next, in its prime, Scherzer, Verlander type. I could see them doing that. Um, I think going to Japan showed great salesmanship. I think it was a great move by the the Mets. I think beating the Yankees to the punch. I mean, not, he's not even meeting the Yankees in New York. He's beating them out in L.A., which makes sense because you're saving yourself six six plus hours of of, of airtime during the holidays. Um, look, I think Yamamoto. The money's going to be there. I don't think it's going to come down to money. The Mets are not in a position like they used to be, where they have to convince with a creative contract someone to come play with them. The money's going to be there with the Mets. The question is. Do the Mets offer, from a standpoint of infrastructure, the standpoint of where they are in their arc, the yoke, the the partial uh, reboot that Stearns is doing, 
Uh, does he buy into their farm system? Does he buy into the new president of, of baseball operations? Does he buy into Cohen, who's done a good job selling guys like Scherz, who had no intention of coming to the Mets until Cohen pitched him a Boris client, by the way, a couple of winters ago? Does he want the uh, the small big town in Boston or Chicago? Or does he just want, you know, is, is Cashman going to come in, throw all the rings down on the table like Pat Riley did with LeBron James in Miami? Have, you know, a presentation with all the pomp and circumstance that the Yankees can offer with pictures of Ruth and Gehrig and Mantle and Maris and Matsui and Tanaka and Ron Guidry and Don Mattingly and about how great it is to be a Yankee and here's your number 18 and you're the next one that we're going to put up and, you know, retire in, in 15 years. It's, they, they could do that and they could do a good job of that. And, and look, there's, there's a lot of sway in that. There's nothing you can do at that point. The Mets have to be the Mets and pitch the Mets and put the money out there. Are the Yankees prepared with all the money they have invested in Judge and Cole and potentially now for this year, but going to need to go to that? If if Soto's getting 70 a year, Boris is going to look for 40 to 45, maybe 50 million for, for Soto. So get ready, Yankees fans. He ain't coming cheap. Are they willing to do that with Cole on the books, with Judge on the books, with Soto potentially being on the books? Uh, you know, Cohen's willing to pay the tax. Will Hal, because it's not just about one year. You're going to be paying that tax, 95% tax, for a couple of years. We'll see. Now, they can do the deferral money game as well as the Mets. And maybe Yamamoto says, you know, for the Yankees, I'll defer all this money. That's where it goes back to what I said at the beginning. You know, MLB's got themselves a problem on their hands. Once you allow one team, and the, the deal with Otani is not official, but once you allow one team to defer money, it's going to just be, like, the league is a copycat league. They're going to continue to try to do this. So um, the Mets play in a beautiful ballpark with an owner that's looking to build up around it in the, one of the most diverse boroughs, if not the most diverse borough in the city. A great culture, a fan base that is hungry. I'm not saying the Yankee fan base isn't hungry, but the Yankee fan base is a different breed. The Yankee fan base sits in a lofty perch, and you have to prove to them that you're worthy. And they're always going to judge you in a high bar. And if you don't win a championship there, you're nothing. You're always going to be looked at as a disappointment. The Mets fans have some component of that without the, the, the rings and the history. But I think that they, like they made Kodai Singh into this cult hero, fun kind of individual with the ghost fork. That's what they're about. And I think that there's something to that. I think there's something to the intimacy and the charm and the hunger of where this fan base is at. Now, it's a double-edged sword because it comes with the yoke, the yoke of paranoia, fear, and the the harbinger of doom that always hangs over these this fan base, this manifestation of negative energy that's always going to be part of it until they break through it, and it's going to take a special group, like I've said, to break through it. And can Yamamoto be part of that special group? And does he want to be, or does he? would he rather play second banana to Cole, because there might be something to that. He knows coming into New York, he's going to be a focus, a focus in the Far East, a focus here in New York. And he's got Senga, but he's going to be the story. With the Yankees, he'll be the story, but he's the story behind Cole, behind Judge, behind Soto. So there's, it actually, in a way, the pressure is less. So he gets more history and tradition with the Yankees, with less pressure, ironically. So we'll see. We'll see what this comes down to. I think the Mets are going to have to overpay. I think it's going to get to $35 million AAV. And I, I would, if I'm Cohen and you really want this guy, I would 
I would put money where, make him put his money where his mouth is and say no to you. At the very least, you force the Yankees up to match. Unless he says, a la Carlos Beltran in 2005, that didn't take the, the pay cut to go to the Yankees, who talked about taking a pay cut to go to the Yankees, but never did because the Yankees didn't even really make an official offer. Will he do a, you know, kind of what Carlos Beltran was looking to do and just take a pay cut because the Yankees are more desirable? Or will he do, most logically he will, what Beltran did back then, to take the most money? And there's a perfect example back then. The Mets were in a different financial position, and they they beat the Yankees, kind of beat the Yankees, kind of let them have Beltran. So maybe you could say the Mets beat the Yankees on a free agent, but they really didn't. They've never. Going back to Reggie Jackson, the Mets were somewhat interested in, but if Reggie was going to come to New York, it wasn't going to be for the Mets at that point. Not when they're playing in front of 700,000 fans uh, for the entire season at an empty city field. So anyway, uh, that's where we're at. A lot to come in the next couple of weeks leading up to Christmas. It's going to be the, the 12 days of Yamamoto leading up to Christmas. We're about two weeks away from Christmas Eve, about two weeks away from Christmas. Uh, hope everybody, by the way, is having a great Hanukkah. I know Hanukkah is in full swing. My Jewish friends here, I hope you're having a great Hanukkah. I don't want to forget about you. But we're going to take a quick break. When I come back, one of the best young baseball writers you want to call or baseball uh, information givers, Michael Marino at Marino MLB on X is going to be joining me. He was here about a month ago at the beginning of the offseason with the hot stove. We talked a little bit about where the market's going to go. So much has changed in just a month with the winter of Otani turning into the ice age of Otani. Now that Otani's off the board, is Yamamoto next? What does he think about the Yamamoto sweepstakes? What is he hearing about Yamamoto and the Mets' chances? What else will David Stearns do? How else can he build out this team? What's the plan B? Because we hear in the plan B, like Blake Snell, uh, you know, maybe something like that. Montgomery's market's getting expensive. Pitching is getting expensive. And the Mets need a lot of pitching. So where are they going to go with Yamamoto in the fold and without? So let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this.